It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Napoleon Hill once said, strength and growth come only through continuous effort and struggle. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host, for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Well, this is part two of our two-part series, Is It Faith or Works That Gets Us to Heaven? And our theme text is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And James 2, verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, is it faith or works that gets us to heaven, part two? And joining us once again today is Julie. Hi, Rick and Jonathan. I'm excited to finish up this topic here in part two. Got to finish what we started. So coming up in today's podcast, every Christian wants to go to heaven, but is there a chance that a true believer won't make it? It's a tough question, and we're going to take a look at it in about 15 minutes. If faith is really dependent on works, what kind of works would they be? Does God keep some kind of a report card on how we do? Well, find out in about 30 minutes. And why would we have to do stuff anyway? Didn't Jesus save us from sin? Isn't that enough? We're going to talk about this in about 45 minutes. But first, let's get our bearings. In part one of this two-part series, we discovered several very clear scriptural statements and lines of reasoning that showed us we're justified by faith. Having established that, the most obvious next question is, what about works? How does the Bible define works of faith? Is it a work of faith to go to church, or is that just a result of faith? Is financially contributing to your church considered a work of faith, or is that just a good thing to do? Are there certain works that every Christian is required to do, or is it all based on who you are? To what degree is our pathway to heaven based on works, and how do we know if we're doing enough? Man, that's a lot of questions. A good thing we have a lot of answers. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. First, to, to get into the works part, let's briefly recap what we talked about last week, just because you need to understand justification by faith to understand justification by works. So there were three pieces to that whole justification thing. First, God justifies. Jonathan, that's from Romans 8.33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Second point, faith justifies. We get that from Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And third, works justify, and we get that from James 2.24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. These can look contradictory, but we talked about it last week and put them in order. Now, we put them in this order very specifically because what we understand from the Scriptures is God is the source of justification. So God does justify. Our faith has to come into play when God is working with us, and then our works will follow. So God justifies. Yes, it's scriptural and it's true. Faith justifies. Yes, it's scriptural and it's true. Works justify. Yes, it's scriptural and it's true. 
One of the main scriptures we used last week was Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And normally we use the New American Standard Version, but this is from the King James Version. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Okay, so we talked about justification and being justified by faith in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So Julie, walk us through the justification uh, in the Old Testament. Well, we asked a basic question last week, and that was, who are these just? And in the Old Testament, the just were those individuals who had deep faith, they listened to and walked with God, and they served him with their might, no matter what the cost. Once God's law, which was, you know, the Ten Commandments, plus many others, was given to the people, it was a justifier, but it gave only temporary righteousness. Animal sacrifices were reminders of their inherent sinfulness, and the inability to be righteous on their own. And we said in part one, it was a little like having a one-year warranty on parts and labor. They were covered for their sins for the upcoming year. So that's the, who were the just in the Old Testament? Okay, so we have the just in the Old Testament. And Jonathan, what about the just in the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, justification is a one-time event for each individual. It is the acquitting, the making right of an individual who was previously in the wrong. It is not earned, it is a gift. And in the Greek, the word justification means acquittal. Okay, so there is a great similarity between the Old and New Testament, and also some pretty big differences, as we discussed last week. In the New Testament, the word justification, when it's talking about those followers of Jesus, the word means acquittal. It means that your sins are actually taken away from you, you are released from the charges versus that one-year warranty kind of a picture. And this is really shown to us in Romans 3, uh, 24 and 25. And again, we're, we're just reviewing some of the things we talked about last week so we can understand where justification by works fits in. So Jonathan, Romans 3, 24 and 25. And again, this is in the King James Version. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, and that means satisfaction, through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Okay, so we've got the just in the New Testament are those to whom salvation has been applied. They have been called and chosen to follow Jesus. This is important when we're focusing in on justification in the New Testament. The sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus provides actual acquittal for our sins, because we are looking to be followers of Jesus. And again, another review scripture from last week, 2 Corinthians 5.17, helps us understand what happens to you in that state of being justified. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, so there's something new going on here that wasn't happening in the Old Testament. We're going to come back to the scripture later on and quote verses 18 and 19 later. So, so Julie, we had several pieces from last week that are going to really set the table for today. So just put some of those on the, on the table for us. Sure. We talked about what needed to happen in order for salvation of, of, of the followers. So first, God's salvation had to be put in place. Second, Jesus had to do his part by being obedient, dying on the cross, and then he was resurrected as a divine being. Third, God has to call out or invite individual followers of Jesus. But fourth, those prospective followers 
have to, by faith, answer the call. And finally, fifth, God must accept that answer. And that is what we learned was the event of justification, where God answers, gives his Holy Spirit, meaning his power and influence, to that individual. So where do works fit in as described in James 2.20? And this is from the King James Version. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Okay, so we put all of those pieces in place to remind us of what we're talking about. And now James comes up with this scripture, because it sounds so thoroughly clear. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about faith. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about faith. And suddenly, James says, Oh, foolish fellow, don't you remember? Don't you know faith without works is dead? That's a powerful statement. And it's almost like, wait, did we just miss the point on all of that other stuff? No, no, we really didn't. But it is something that we need to really, really understand and get our heads around. So saying faith without works is dead is an awfully strong statement. James must have had a really good reason to say it. If the just live by faith, how is it possible for them to live by works? Isn't that a contradiction? (laughs) You know, all of this comes down to being acceptable before God. While faith is our foundation, our works are part of its testing. Noah, was tested. Job was tested. Abraham was tested. Moses was tested. Daniel was tested. John the Baptist was tested. Jesus was tested. The apostles were tested. Stephen and Timothy both were tested. What would ever make us think we won't be tested? There is no one that was righteous before God who had not been tested. Why would we be any different? And that really, really is the point. So here's the question. What did their tests do? Well, prove their faith. Okay. And that's the point. For Christians, this is all about, built. it's all built around one very simple but very, very powerful concept. And that's the concept of self-denial. So before we get into this, I want to take a timeout here. I mean, we're just starting, but let's take a timeout and take a breath. Because folks, I want to be really, really honest with you. The concept of self-denial in Christianity has gotten very, very lost. And there are, there are many, many preachers who talk about the idea that God wants you to have everything and pray and be faithful, and it's all good. You know, our, Joel Osteen is one of those individuals who really talks about abundance, and he's got a wonderful, very calm and, and, and comforting attitude and very excited and enthusiastic but he's not teaching us that we have to deny ourselves. We need to understand to follow in Jesus' footsteps is to do what Jesus did. Make no mistake, that's what faith and works is really all about. So let's get into this. What role do works actually play? Uh, we're going to look at James 2, 18 through 24 throughout the rest of the podcast. We're just going to take verses 18 and 19 now. So this is the context from which we build the argument that James is giving us. So Jonathan, James 2, 18 and 19. Again, in the King James Version. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. This is a huge thought. Now think about this. He says the devils also believe and tremble. 
The word for believe in this verse, the devils also believe, is, this, is the verb form of the New Testament word for faith. This is a powerful proof that faith and belief, while important, are not the complete story for a Christian. Because if the devils also believe and tremble, obviously belief is not enough. There's got to be more. And what do they believe? It says you believe that God is one. Where did they all come from? God created them. They know this. They believe that, but they've chosen to walk away from him. So it's not just our faith, our belief. There's something much bigger here. New Testament justification is not a guaranteed ticket to heaven. What? That's going to come as a surprise to some people. (laughs) Well, you know what? But it's the scriptural truth. Not only is work required, there's also the challenge of keeping that justification untarnished. But Rick, what about that phrase we've all heard, once saved, always saved? That's a battle cry for many Christians. Yeah, is that a, not true? I mean, what about it? I mean, <laughs> you know, think about it. No, it's, it's, a, it's a nice phrase. But really, it should be once saved, now get to work. That's what it really should be. And we're going to see that unfold with the scriptures as we go through this. So let's start here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, and we're going we're gonna to actually, we said 1 and 2, the quoted verse 1. We're going to touch on verse 2 at the end of the podcast. So there's a couple of scriptures here that we're starting with and we're going to end with later because they tell the rest of a story that's really important. But now we're focusing on justification for Christians here and now and the works they need to do. Being justified now in this Christian age gives us, the called out ones, the privilege to have Jesus himself advocate for us. He supports us in our struggles to overcome our sinful feelings, our sinful thoughts, and our sinful actions. But remember, Jonathan just read 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, the new things have come. So I have a question. Why do we need Jesus as an advocate if we, as these new creatures, have been justified, and now we can deal with God directly as a son? And we discussed that new sonship a great deal in part one. What do we need this advocate for? Well, see, the advocate is the reason we're sons. Because Jesus died and we're covered by his righteousness. See, his robe of righteousness covers us. That's the buffer between us and God. Because remember, we may be justified, justified, but we're still human, filthy rags before God because we're sinful. Yeah, Julie, go ahead. So we have to stay under that robe in order to have that relationship with God. Okay, exactly. We do. We have to stay there. And here's the thing. You got to say, okay, well, do we deserve forgiveness? Yes. I just said, wait, we're your human filthy rags, but do we deserve forgiveness? Yes. Why? Because Jesus made it so. Our deserving of forgiveness is because we are following him and we are covered by his righteousness, by his advocacy. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what true Christianity actually looks like. So as an advocate, he's pleading on our behalf to the Father. Yes. Is that why we pray in Jesus' name? That is exactly, exactly, precisely why. And we can never lose that focus because anything we accomplish that's good and gives glory to God is by the grace of Jesus, by God's grace ultimately, but by the grace of Jesus in our lives. 
So this is laying the groundwork for work. So let's talk about the works of a justified Christian. Let's get started with that. Jonathan, what's the first one we're going to look at? The work of being the salt of the earth. Okay. Jesus warned of the sober responsibility to maintain the faith that drew us to him. We see that in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, Rick, don't lose your saltiness. What does that really mean? You know, the idea of salt is it's a, it's a, it's a, it preserves. It preserves and it flavors. You know, you, you eat an egg without, egg whites without salt just don't taste like anything. You put salt on them and boy, they're delicious. The idea of salt is it, is it brings flavor and it preserves. So if the salt loses its saltiness, what it's saying is you're, if you've lost your ability to be that preserving aspect of righteousness and integrity and godliness in the world around you, then you've lost your use. And that's important. You know, this is, this is the beginning of looking at works. So we have to be that preserving aspect in, the, in, in, in our lives to, to those around us. doesn't mean they're going to listen, but it does mean you have to do your job, okay? So now, let's get to the next piece of Matthew 5, 13 to 16, the works of the justified Christian. What's next? The work of being the light of the world. Okay, in verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, this is important. Let your light shine. You don't reflect the light. You are supposed to be the light, just like you're supposed to be the salt. So this is the beginning of understanding the works of being a Christian. Now look. These are, these are a little bit hard to get your head around. So these are two very macro-level kinds of works. They're the big picture of what our work should actually produce. The following, what we're going to begin discussing, are the details that support this big picture. Okay? So now we want to get into those details. Maintaining such a responsibility can be tested in subtle ways at first, and then if we're not paying attention, it can grow into trouble. So we're going to look at Hebrews 12, 11 to 17, we're going to break it into two pieces. The first piece is the more the subtlety piece. But again, this is about the details behind what it takes to do the works of a Christian. So Jonathan, let's start with Hebrews 12, and let's do 11 through, what are we doing? 11 through 14 first. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. I mean, there's such power, powerful thoughts here. The idea is keep yourself in order so that you can serve God. It says pursue peace. It doesn't mean, you know, if peace kind of comes your way, go and, and, and take it. Pursue peace with all men and pursue sanctification. Pursue being set apart for a holy purpose because you don't see the Lord without that. So here we have the externally visible challenges, walking the right path and being peacemakers. 
Rick and Julie, we need to make sure we maintain our physical health and well-being to continue the work to keep our paths straight. Sometimes we need to put up walls and barriers where we have weaknesses so we can stay on the right path. But it takes work. And that's the point. You know, we're, we're in the physical form, so we have to do the things to keep the physical form working to give glory to God. And sometimes I, I like the idea of putting up walls and barriers because we can easily, easily and naturally get involved in things that take us away from that kind of health. So next, we have the internal invisible challenges, and these are the most dangerous. We're back to Hebrews 12. Jonathan, let's go to 15 through 17. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it may be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he had found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. This is an enormous example. The thought of Esau. He Remember Esau and Jacob were twins, and he's the twin that's born first, uh, and, and he's really hungry, and, and Jacob says, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this food if you, if you sell me your birthright to be the firstborn, because that was everything. And of course, Esau did that. Esau selling of his birthright is a strong lesson for us. And that story is found in Genesis 27, 34 to 40, and definitely worth reading for homework. Yeah, it re- especially when you realize the picture that it's showing us here and now with this subject. See, Esau had a very deeply flawed, flawed character, and it caused him to sell his birthright as firstborn for physical nourishment. I mean, that was the trade-off. Give me a meal, and I'll give you all the rights of being the firstborn. I mean, really? Really? That's acting in the passion of the moment. And, you know, that scripture talks about that root of bitterness springing up that causes trouble. That's some of that internal challenge we have because, you know, you never see those roots until they break through the ground and then it's too late because bitterness has you. Yeah. And always remember when something breaks through the ground and you see it, you say, oh, look at that little thing. Little thing. Guess Uh what kind of root network is underneath that you can't see? And that's why the Apostle Paul in these verses talks about roots of bitterness that defile a man. And he talks about Esau because he, he, he was off. His character was not a godly character. And here's the thing. He sold that birthright. There was no going back on that. It was done. Think about that. Being the firstborn. Think about the call of the church being the firstborn, the the followers of Jesus. Can we sell our birthright? I think this is an amazing, very important picture. The consequences of rejecting our justification are even more serious than with Esau here. Remember, Jesus' sacrifice is applied to each and every human life just one time. And that's now before the kingdom comes for his footstep followers, but it's also after his, his after um, in the kingdom for everybody else when Jesus' sacrifice is applied to the everyone else as well. Right. So it covers everyone. Right. And, and we're going to get into some of those differences as we go down the road here, but just let's understand it's a one-time gift. For those of us who receive this gift now, the called out ones, we must develop it faithfully. 
This is a must. You can't avoid this. Now, we're going to get into some pretty heavy-duty stuff here in terms of what does this all mean and what are the potential consequences. Let's look at Matthew 12, 31 and 32. Oh, I'm sorry, wait. Julie, I'm sorry, you had another scripture there. Yeah, I just wanted to throw sorry. in, you know, Jonathan previously read Habakkuk 2.4, and that's where we first saw that phrase, the just shall live by faith. The Apostle Paul quotes this three times, and in Hebrews 10.38, he adds, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And drawing back means we might start to live according to the world's ways and principles. And this comes on gradually. It might start with discontent, like we talked about that root of bitterness, and then complaining, and then maybe feeling like we're missing out on being able to act and think like those around us. So here the apostle in this drawing back warns us to be careful to maintain our faith because the possibility that we could fall away is very real. And again, you said it before, Julie, that can come as a shock to some of us. What do you mean? Isn't it once in grace, always in grace? Listen to these scriptures and tell me if you think that holds true, because we have to form our beliefs based on the scriptures, not based on tradition or what's comfortable, okay? So now we'll go to Matthew 12, 31 to 32, and this is about God's spirit, and it's about blasphemy. It's very serious scripture. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. See, those are very serious words, and that's telling us that sin has consequences. Well, Rick and Julie, think about this. When the scribes and Pharisees come back to life in the kingdom— they're going to have to answer for the things they did to Jesus. Repentance will start them off in the right path. Yeah, and you know, and what this scripture is saying in Matthew 12 is that there are some sins that can't are just not going to get erased from your life. You're going to have to suffer the consequences of them. Go through like you said, repentance and rebuilding in a very 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 serious way. And so we have to be very careful when we're dealing with God's influence, because it's sacred, and it's something that deserves reverence. And when we don't treat God's influence as something sacred that we need to be reverent with, we are playing with fire. And that fire, not a, not a hellfire, because that doesn't exist, but it's a fire of destruction that we have to be very careful of. And this is brought out to us uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And again, these are very serious scriptures. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Okay, hold there for a second. This is setting it up, saying you've tasted of these things. You've been enlightened. See, that's a key phrase to understand. We're talking about being having the Spirit beget you. you it, it is inborn in you. You've become a new creature. That's what this is saying. You've tasted the heavenly gift, partakers of the Spirit, and you, you, you are dwelling in the goodness of God. Here now is the negative side of this. And then have fallen away. And this fallen away means to fall in, into, or away, or to fail. And continuing, 
it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. So this is a scripture that is very specific, saying if you've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and you fail God, you walk away from God, and you renounce all of that, you've used up Jesus' ransom for you. You've been acquitted, and you took that acquittal, and essentially you spit on it and said it's of no value to me, and you walk away after God gave you his spirit. That, my friends, is a, is a, is a recipe for, for a death from which there is no resurrection. Julie, go ahead. You know, in part one of this series, we mentioned that there are four basic questions whose answers separate the Christian denominations on this faith versus works topic. Listen to part one for the first two questions. But the third question is, can justification be lost? And that's what we're talking about. And, you know, we here at Christian Questions receive a lot of questions people write in about what constitutes this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to fall away? Is going to church as a child, but deciding not to as an adult falling away are you doomed you know you had lessons you were privileged to learn but you know you don't really know what to do with them you walk away is that is that ruining it for life it sounds like no because you you weren't really begotten of that holy spirit yeah it's definitely no okay because the begettal of the holy spirit is a very precise action on the part of god and remember we're called by God through Jesus. Our faith has to respond to that call by God through Jesus. God has to accept our willingness to follow Jesus. It's only when God accepts it that he gives us the Spirit. Anybody beneath that is not liable to, this, to the second death. Jonathan, go ahead. So you can't accidentally fall away. No. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. Okay. You it, have to renounce it after you've actually received that Holy Spirit, after you have that, had that acquittal justice. Right, right. It doesn't happen by oops. Okay? I don't know if that's a real phrase, but I just made it up. <laughs> and it would have to be something where you're not even repentant about it, because we right. do do those oops, even as a, you know, as a, a, a justified individual. Right. And this is why we have Jesus as our advocate, remember. Okay, look, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Satan himself failed God, and he did, so it can happen to those who have experienced the begetting of God's Spirit. It's like you said, Jonathan, it's never an accident when an enlightened one fails him. It's always a clear and defined intention. It is unmistakable that you are consciously deciding to walk away. And I don't know how you can do it, but apparently it can happen. And so we have to be careful. This reminds me of Revelation 2.10, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. There'd be no reason to make that caveat of unto death if there was no risk of losing justification. God's not accepting those who were once faithful. He desires to have those who were once faithful, who are afterwards faithful, and who are always faithful. So, why are we talking about this? Because we are establishing the need for true Christian works. That's why. You need to see this as part of the, the overall landscape. Look, if you're trying hard, you never worry about any of this because it's not an accidental thing you fall into. So, Jonathan, let's wrap up this segment. The works of the justified Christian here, sum that up. 
The work of being sober in the realization that this life is my opportunity for eternal life. And I have got to do something with that opportunity. See, up to this point, we have gloried in the gift of justification. Let's now see it as a sober responsibility as well. So far, we have seen big picture works to strengthen our faith. What about getting more specific? So the details of our works are where this battle is won or lost. We cannot stress enough that faith is the vital foundation upon which our works are to be built. As we will see in the next verses of James chapter 2, the kind of works that God desires are specific to his purposes. This is a key. If you want to get it, let me just repeat that. The kind of works that God desires are specific to his purposes, not Rick's, not Jonathan's, not Julie's, to God's purposes. With that in mind, James chapter 2, let's continue. We're at to, up to verses 20 through 24. Let's do 20 to 22 first. And this is the King James Version. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? So James is discussing, and it's interesting, you know, we, we, we all look at Abraham and it's going to say it in the next part of the verse about he's being, you know, he, he's, he's justified by faith. But James is saying, but look at what he did as a result of his faith. He acted. That means his faith was alive. And James verifies that in verses 23 and 24. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Okay, by works and not by faith only. Notice it doesn't say by works instead of faith. It's implying by works because of faith. And just on a side note, speaking of Abraham, in our last podcast, we said that no one who lived prior to Jesus is in heaven. Right. So where's Abraham and the others if they're not in heaven? Okay. At this point, they haven't been raised. They've been sleeping in death. And again, that might become a surprise to some, but when you look at the scriptures, that's what they teach us. And we are bound to follow the doctrine that the scriptures, not tradition, that the scriptures give us. So they so are they're awaiting a resurrection. Right. They are dead. They are asleep in death, which means they are without consciousness until their resurrection. And, and they'll be resurrected on earth, not heaven, because heaven wasn't opened until Jesus died and was raised. Right. But what a resurrection they will have, having been so gloriously faithful. That's the beauty of it, is they will be, they will be in positions of immediate honor, because of their previous faithfulness on earth. I, I want to make sure I have this right, uh, Rick and Julie. Acts of godly works are godly faith? Yes. So, Is that accurate? Yeah, we have to do the things that godly faith drives us towards. We have to do them. That's why works are so, so important, and it's not just faith. Okay, let's look at some scriptural verification of all this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. King James Version. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, 
for we will see him as he is. Okay, we'll see him as he is. See, understand, we are now the sons of God. Sonship is already in place. But the scripture says, but there's much more to come. What does this imply? You got to do some work in between. There's works involved here. And uh, I was thinking, Rick, if you're a son, act like one. (laughs) Take over your father's business. Yeah, really. Be about your father. Who said that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Jesus at age 12. Be about your father's business. That's what living a life of faith actually looks like. Ephesians 1.14. And this is from the Weymouth translation. That spirit being a pledge and foretaste of our inheritance in anticipation of its full redemption, the inheritance which he had purchased to be specially his for the extolling of his glory. Okay, so it's talking about this full redemption, okay? The, the, the spirit is a pledge, a foretaste of this full redemption. This full redemption further implies that the faith with which we have received justification is not complete on its own. You got to do something to develop that. So the fourth and final main question that separates Christian denominations on the faith versus works issue is, what is the relationship between justification and sanctification, the process whereby sinners become righteous and are enabled by the Holy Spirit to then live lives pleasing to God? And I think that a thoroughly faithful Christian, you really can't separate these two, faith and works. You can't have one without the other. They're kind of like two sides of the same coin. When I hear the just shall live by faith, I think there's two ways to understand it. First, in the context of justification by faith, that justification that we've talked about when you make that commitment to follow Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit. But we also have to consider how the just live by faith on a daily basis. This is our sanctification. And sanctification, being set apart, requires works. Absolutely. And I was thinking our holy purpose is to obey the word and will of God. And we must have a character transformation, become godly, and raise ourselves to a higher level. Okay. So the whole idea of works in the application is in the application of sanctification, of being set apart. That's what both of you just said. We're not simply set apart for a holy purpose by faith and in redemption by the ransom. We are continually set apart by what we do with that redemption. God sets us apart by justifying us. We have to keep ourselves apart by the works of faith. Okay, Without the godly actions of a sanctified life, our faith in our redemption becomes meaningless. So faith without works is dead. Now, let's get into some of the works. The following are several examples of the work that contributes to our justified state. So now we're going to get into some more practicality. Uh, Let's look, Jonathan, at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's just take verse 1 to start. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, but that's not all. It has to be holy. Holy means set apart, sanctified, and it has to be acceptable. Why? Because it's in a godly fashion that you're sacrificing it. And this is our spiritual service of worship. So, the work of a justified Christian, Jonathan, here in Romans 12.1, what is it? The work of presenting my life as my sacrifice, I must present it in an acceptable and holy way. Okay, in the correct 
way, and it has to be sacrifice. Verse 2 of Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay. Now it's don't be conformed, but be transformed. Be different. I think we had a Facebook comment that you wanted to add here. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, from Katie on Facebook, she says, oh, my, fa- my faith and belief in Christ makes me want to be more like him, thus encourage me to do Christ-like works. I think when I see the blessings that come from my obedience and works, my faith in Christ and God is strengthened, if that makes any sense. So, you know, it's a very straightforward way to say, I want to be more like Jesus, so I work hard at it, and then I'm blessed, and so I want to work harder. That's the point. That is where we want to be, want to get our minds and hearts focused in on those things. So, Jonathan, when we look at the works of a truly justified Christian in relation to Romans 12, 2, and this transformation, what is it? Well, actually, Julie has, has that. That's, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the work of renewing my mind daily. I must labor to have God's influence override any earth-born influence in all my thinking and decision. So it's a daily thing. And it's labor. I must work at it. I must labor for God's influence to override my earthly thinking. Why? Because my earthly thinking is pretty natural. Oh, it's hard. It's hard <laughs> to do that. You have to do it almost minute by minute sometimes. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Okay, let's go on more Christian works. And, you know, you're saying, gee, this sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it is. It truly is. But, man, the blessing that comes with it is unbelievable. James 1.12, next one. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Perseverance under trial. So, Jonathan, the work of a justified Christian here is what? The work of perseverance while under duress, I must resolve to stay the course, whatever may come my way, for God's providence is guiding me. I think uh, we had a, did you have a story, Rick, about your counseling? Oh, yes, someone? yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in, in this in this circumstance, the work of perseverance under duress, and this is a very, very, an ongoing experience right now. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing, working with one, one of the brothers or sisters in Christ, who is undergoing some really hard, hard trials. Now, this individual's been through a lot already in their life. And if I were the one prescribing the trials, I would have looked at what's come upon this individual recently and said, no, this is too much. I would not test them with this much at this point. God didn't see it that way. God put a whole lot on their plate. And in talking with them each day, for quite some time now, there's this sense of almost foreboding and difficulty and just just like on the edge. And it's just interesting, God's providence, today in our conversation, I saw a total, total transformation and the ability to grab hold of the trial and to say, I'm getting this now. I'm getting this. And, I'm, and, I, and I can see through the difficulty and see the blessing. And you know... Wonderful. It is. It's incredible. It is perseverance while under duress. That's how we're tested. So this individual is actually executing one of those incredibly important works of faith. And isn't there a scripture that says that God won't give you more than you can handle? First Corinthians, give you- First Corinthians 10, 13. But we'll Don't provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It's a very powerful, very true scripture. So it's just a great lesson. Okay. 
Next scripture about works of faith, 2 Timothy 2, 14 and 15. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which are useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Okay, we have to work on our understanding of the gospel. So when we look at the works of a justified Christian, Julie, what do we have here from the Second Timothy Scripture? It's the work of being diligent in understanding and applying God's Word. I must not only seek to understand the Scriptures as well as I can, but I also have to use what I learn in a God-honoring way. And I think this is teaching us that we need to be our best self uh, in our sanctified service as we're able. Just like God said to Moses in Exodus 4.2, what is that in thy hand? We need to do what we can do and not compare ourselves to others. You know, that's a, I, I love that phrase, be our best self. Now, we already said, well, our best self is pretty, pretty crappy. <laughs> it's really not very good. So why be that? Because it's the best we have to offer. And God, through Jesus, takes that messy offering and makes it valuable to him. So I'm not valuable to him on my own. I am valuable to him through Jesus, through that sanctification which comes from that justification. It's a beautiful thing, but we have to apply ourselves to it. One more scripture before we wrap this portion up. Jonathan, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 19. This is a whole different aspect of the works of a Christian. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were the hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? This is a great lesson on playing your part, no matter what. You play the role that God has given you. So when we look at this about the body of Christ, Julie, the works of a justified Christian, what do we have? It's the work of accepting and embracing the body of Christ and my part in it. Whether I'm out front or unseen, I'm privileged to play a small role in a big picture. And I have a question for you when you have a comment. Okay, okay, so play the small role in the big picture. Whatever God has called me to do, I should just do it with the grace that's given to me and say thank you for whatever my part is. Good, Julie, what's your question? When you started this podcast, you asked a lot of questions. Yeah. And Jonathan and I said, wow, what a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> and you asked, is it a work of faith to go to church, or is that a result of faith? And is financially contributing to your church considered a work of faith? So now that we're in, before we leave this work of faith part, is going to church a work of faith and is contributing a work of faith? I, I think they are. I think they are. But you know what? I don't think that those are the big ones. I think, I think that, you know, with the financial contribution, first of all, let me state very unequivocally, we do not believe in tithing. We believe in making contributions as you as an individual see fit. That's a New Testament principle. We're not going by the old. We're going by the new. I think those are works of faith. But I think those are very basic works of faith. 
I think the deeper works of faith have to do with actually playing a role, actually being active, actually being submissive to the will of God, persevering under the duress of the experiences. So yeah, I do think that those are works, but let's not look at those and say, wow, I'm doing the works. No, let's let's get real. Let's grow up. Okay. Those are bare minimums. Yes, I, I believe that. Yeah, I, I do. I, I believe that we need to apply ourselves because the gift is massive compared to what and who we are. So look, living a life of faith is actually living a life of hard and focused work. It's not easy street. It's a privileged life. What does a Christian life look like when spiritual works are in place? What is the end result? Well, to be honest, with spiritual works in place that are thoroughly motivated by faith and our justification, this Christian life looks like sacrifice, work, and trials. And it embodies effort and perseverance. But don't forget, don't forget, it's also the most blessed and privileged life that any human being could ever dream of. And I am not just saying that. I mean that with every fiber within me. It's a life of sacrifice and work and effort. But I will tell you unequivocally, the blessing is far, far, far beyond any of the sacrifice that we can offer. It just is. It just is. I could take a whole podcast on that, and maybe we will one day. A uh, few more examples of works of a true Christian. Let's get back to the scriptures. First Peter 3, 13 to 17. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asked you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Okay, so you know, when we look at this scripture, one of the things that jumps out is, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And it's so true. See, our blessing, folks, understand, our blessing doesn't necessarily come to its fruition in front of us here and now today. The blessing we receive is eternal, and it's bigger than we can even ever, ever imagine. So, Julie, what are the works of the justified Christian? I think it's the work of maintaining a spiritually-based conscience and reverently standing for godly principles when I'm called upon. And that's, even if it means suffering, like you just read, it's representing Jesus in my daily experiences because that's, that's the most important thing. Faith without works is dead. Being able to stand for righteousness, godly righteousness, not worldly righteousness, not political righteousness, godly righteousness is what our lives are about. To be reverent, to be humble. These are the efforts that we have to put forward. And if we suffer for those things, well, are we suffering like Jesus did? Let's ask ourselves that question. And when we can say, yes, I've suffered as much as Jesus, then you and I will talk some more. But until then, <laughs> until then, we just have to keep working at it. Mm-hmm. Okay, an- another view of the works of, of, of faith and the works of righteousness. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 18, and this is one of the parables of Jesus. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded them, and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. If this is not a parable that talks about doing work with what you're given, I don't know what is. You know, it's a parable about going and making what God gives you produce something. Now, you know, it's talking about financial gain. This is not about money. It's about the principle of magnifying the things, the opportunities that God gives us. That's what this is about. We are bound to do that. If God gives us blessing and opportunity, we must do the work of those things. Julie, what's next? Uh, the works of the justified Christian. Well, you just talked about we have to be diligent in using what Jesus has given us. And I think our human tendency is to minimize the importance of what we're given when it's something that's small. But what we're given is exactly what we're supposed to be diligent with. Even if it's a tiny thing, we need to use it to the Lord's honor and glory, and he'll see fit to bless us and magnify that. And we can find comfort in God matching our opportunities with our talents if right. we're looking. You know, it takes watching and praying. And uh, as we use those talents that, that he's given us, he can develop even greater ones within us because we're exercising those talents. Yeah, you know, and there, and there is a powerful, powerful life lesson in being able to be stretched out in the service of God and allowing him to stretch you and then teaching you how to be able to do more than you ever thought possible. And there's lots of wonderful lessons we can learn along those lines, but we have to be willing to do the work. Have you ever been stretched further than you <laughs> thought you could, Rick, with Christian questions, perhaps? <laughs> After 22 years, I can safely say yes many, 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 many times. And, and you know what? And, and I'm telling you, and, and, I, and I say this to everybody, I am the most blessed person I know. I absolutely am. And one of the reasons is because the, <laughs> the work has, in, when I have looked at the work at, at, at points in time, it was completely overwhelming. It's like, no way, this is impossible. And yet... God saw us through it again and again. And you come out the other end and say, that's providence. And it gives you stronger faith. And it doesn't make it necessarily easier, but it makes it greater blessing as you go. So it's incredible. So what are the results of all of this? Let's, let's take a look now at the results of all this. Uh, so we're going to fast forward your thinking now to, okay, where, what does this bring you? Well, there's some, some pieces we want to put together. First, Revelation 17, 14. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. We kept saying throughout the last two podcasts that God has to call you. You have to answer that call, and by answering that call, God then chooses you, and that's where justification comes. And then we have to, in this podcast, talk about works. We have to do the works of faith so that we can actually end up being faithful to what we've been given. This is worth repeating, Julie. Now, what are the results of the justified Christian life? Oh, you just said it. Called, chosen, and faithful. So there's works. And I like the expression that you've heard of having a living faith. 
which means your faith will show through your actions and should drive your works because works are meaningless if what's behind them are empty. And it makes me think of uh, Matthew 23, 27, when Jesus called the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites. Then he said they were like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they're beautiful, but inside they're full of dead bones. So we do not want to be like that. We want to be the called, the chosen, and the faithful until death. And see, a living faith means anything that's living has to be fed. It has to be nourished. It has to be cared for. Our faith is cared for, nourished by doing the works that are godly works. Not the works that I think are, I'd love to do this or that. It's godly works in his way, in his time. Okay? Once faithful, what do I do with the results of being justified by faith and developed through works? Okay? Well, I'm going to do what I was called to do. Yeah, well, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, first of all, we have to commit ourselves to the true gospel message. The true gospel message. Not traditional gospel message. The true message, which is, in the next couple of scriptures, comes out in a very simple simple way. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 6. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. See, this scripture entail puts it all together. It talks about what we have to do. It talks about God wants all men to be saved. And incidentally, when God wants something, God doesn't just have wishes that are baseless, okay? He has a plan. And, he said, and, and, and so he put Jesus in place as the mediator between God and men. And we're talking not about the spiritual called out ones, but we're talking about the earthly, the, the, the earthly kingdom coming, mediator between God and men, because Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all of them. And we'll see the testimony at the appropriate time. We'll see it actually unfold when the resurrection starts. This is the true gospel message. I must commit myself to that message. I gratefully work through my own issues, realizing that the unbelieving world will also have their opportunity to work through their sins and their issues in the future. As a called out one, I need to work on mine now. Their job will be to work on theirs later, and this is shown to us in 1 John 2, 1-2, and we read 1 John 2, 1 earlier in the podcast. We're coming back to finish it up here. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, which means satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Okay, so we've got this advocate, and we got the propitiation for, for us, and we talked about that previous, but it says that Jesus is, is the satisfaction for not just our sins, but for everybody else's. Don't forget the everybody else. The world has the opportunity to be justified later. And I think it's important to note that there is a difference between how salvation works for these called out ones that we've been discussing, these footstep followers of Jesus, and the everybody else. That's the rest of the Christians, the Muslims, even the atheists. And I think a great podcast to get the details of this is episode 1086. It was called, Are Jesus's Ransom and Our Salvation the Same? 
And definitely get the CQ Rewind show notes on that one, episode 1086. So you can follow along visually while you listen. And there's even study questions to download as you work through the material. Okay, so we focus on the fact, on the lessons that I have been reconciled, that lessons that we have been given, knowing I will also play a part in the reconciling of the whole world. We've been talking about the two aspects of salvation. True, called out Christians first, rest of the world second. Why are we being tested now so we can aid in the reconciliation of the billions later in the future day of judgment? How do we know this? Well, we're going to go back to 2 Corinthians 5. We read verse 17 before. Now we're going to read 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. You understand the power of that? We've been reconciled. And we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're told of the reconciliation work. This is the good news. You know, when Jesus is born, good news to all people. This is it. And we get to be a part of this. Well, let's talk about the results of a justified Christian life. My present gift of reconciliation and my faithfulness to it gives me this grace of a potential heavenly home with Jesus, but it also affords me this unique privilege to participate in the reconciliation opportunity for all unbelievers, and they have the opportunity to have eternal earthly life. I like thinking of it as rehabilitation. We will have the opportunity, if faithful unto death, to help rehabilitate the sick world who's currently under the influence of Satan. And that's my, that's my why, that's my motivation is to help reconcile the world. I like it. And I see it this way. This is the biggest work in all human history. (laughs) We get to be a part of the massive workforce with Jesus to help restore mankind and bring all things back into harmony with God, a perfect earth. You know, and when you think about it, we're talking about works. Faith without works is dead. Why must we be tested for all of these reasons? It comes down to, because God doesn't want just for you to be faithful here and now, he wants you to be trustworthy so later he can rely on you with the most incredible work of rehabilitation, reconciliation, whatever word you want to use, to put the world back in order. So what we need to understand, Jesus talked about this. You know, Matthew 6.10, in teaching us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That is what the reconciliation is all about, the earthly kingdom. Folks, look, our talk about justification, God justifies us, faith justifies us, works justify us, and now we see they all work together. You can't have one without the other two. It all works together. And what's the result? Everyone, either now or later, will have Jesus' ransom given as a personal gift for their lives. And it's up to each and every one of us as to what we do with it. So for us here and now, is it faith or works that gets us to heaven? Yes, it is. It's by God's grace 
and it's by Jesus' ransom that all of this happens. How privileged are we? Now get to work. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, how do we keep Jesus at the center of Christmas? That's an important question. Talk to you then.